They did all that good stuff, but snowmobiling was my thing. And going to different snowmobile shows throughout Minnesota and Wisconsin, downstate, I belonged to the Antique Snowmobile Club of America. I could see that it was growing. The vintage and antique hobby was growing. I could see the, that it would work in my own little head, that it would work. We had lots of support, though. So what makes Michigan a great state? I'm glad you asked. My name is Cliff Dubinois, and I'm on a quest to answer that exact question. After 20 years, I've returned to my native Michigan and I'm looking to reconnect with my home state. I'm talking to the people who are behind Michigan's great businesses and top destinations. The same people who work hard every day to make our lives a little bit brighter. And you, Michigander, are coming along for the ride. This is the Call of Leadership Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Call of Leadership Podcast. So... If you're wandering around 75 and you just happen to be crossing the Mackinac Bridge, if you take US 2 west, at some point in time, you're going to hit what I think is probably one of the little treasures of Michigan, and that would be the Snowmobile Museum. That's where we are today for our interview, and we got with us the owner of the museum, Charlie Vallier. Charlie, how are you? I'm pretty good. I, I'm not the owner. I'm the guy that runs it. We formed a nonprofit corporation, so it's nonprofit that owns it. We're the ones that run it. Okay. Is that better? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Learn something new every day. That's cool. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up? Okay. I'm uh, from Engadine. Okay. I live six miles north of Engadine in the farming country. Matter of fact, I live right now one mile from where I grew up. I went to school in Engadine. I did my two years. I got drafted in 69, did my two years, and I tried living in Saginaw, and that just didn't work out. I wasn't a city boy. My whole life, I'm living now one mile from where I grew up, and love it. Don't plan on moving. <laughs> now, when was the museum founded? Okay, the, uh, we founded... Our first opening day was July 4th of 2007. Okay. And it took us, oh, six months prior to that to get the building that we started in, renovated in, get snowmobiles in it. So 2007. So now the question I have to ask is, why start a snowmobile museum in the first place? Well, Nobbin Way has been doing a snowmobile show for 31 years now. And 15 years ago, so we had been doing a show for 15 years, something right. like that. And Nobway was known for the snowmobile show that we were putting on. And the guys were all getting older and saying it's 10 degrees outside, the wind's blowing five mile an hour. We should have a museum, a building we could be in instead of out here in the cold. Nobody raised their hand to do that. Three years later, a real estate lady in town, she thought we should try that again. She had found some property to rent. So we held a meeting and same thing. Nobody to raise their hand. Nobody to raise their hand. Let's do it. Let's do it. So my wife and I, uh, we raised our hand. Um, Take your time. Yeah. Anyway, so we decided that we would chair this and with help from a whole lot of other people in the community. The real estate lady, Lynn, she had this property we could rent and the community supported it and the snowmobile community also. And we painted and cleaned and 
remodeled and got the doors open October 7th at our new building. We weren't open only four or five days a week and only three, four, or five hours a day, whatever it was. We were volunteer staff. We could see that we started with 60 snowmobiles. Snowmobiles weren't the problem. We had lots of snowmobiles. It was just space to put them in. Right. So that um, first six and a half years at the, the old laundromat, we had remodeled. We had finally was able to squeeze, build some shelving over the years, and we were able to get 80 sleds in there. You could see that it was working with the volunteer staff, and it was two blocks off US 2, the main drag through the U. You could see that it was going to work. Everybody said we had to get out on, on the highway. You got to get out on the highway. You got to get out on the highway. Because at that time where you were, you were a couple blocks off. Yes, the we were two blocks. And we were getting, you know, you're going to get your snowmobiler to go two blocks the die off. Hards, the, yeah. the diehards, you'll yeah. get to come two blocks off the highway. But we wanted to get other people that people that don't want to get off. They're scared they were going to get lost in Knobway if they got two blocks off the highway. That you can't get lost in Knobway, but right. if you get lost in Knobway, you probably shouldn't be driving. <laughs> um, so anyway, that was working out, and we bought property on US-2, and then everybody said, oh, you'll double your business, you'll double your business, but nobody would go to the bank and sign their name saying we doubled our business. Right. So finally we went to the bank and signed the note saying we wanted to borrow some money and borrowed some money and put up this 10,000. Well, at that time it was 7,500 square foot building. And then a few years later we added on and now it's a 10,000 square foot building. And our original plan was 10,000 foot, but to keep the cost down, we backed off a little bit and then we added on three years later. Certainly. So let's go back. So you said that the museum was started back in 2007? Yes. Now, were you already retired by this point? No, I wasn't retired yet. I didn't okay. retire for a few years later. Okay. And so you and your wife raised your hands and said, we're crazy enough to do this, right? You start pushing forward. Yes. I, I got to ask the question, what, what made you think that you could pull all this together? I don't know. Uh, I mean, do you I'm have, a stone... Uh, the only hobby I have now is snowmobiling. I used to fish. I used to hunt. I did all that good stuff. But snowmobiling was my thing. And going to different snowmobile shows throughout Minnesota and Wisconsin, I belong, downstate, I belonged to the Antique Snowmobile Club of America. I could see that it was growing. This, the vintage and antique hobby was growing. I could see the, that it would work in my own little head, that it would work. We had lots of support, though. People agreed with me. And my wife was retired She from the school in Engadine. So she was there. And then, of course, I retired later. But uh, why, I guess I could just see the see that would work. Great. You get the museum. You get it launched. You get it out there. And you made a comment that it wasn't a problem getting sleds. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the sleds that are coming through your door i mean is it what kind of collection do you have how extensive is your collection well here now at the museum we've got 185 sleds and we're about the history of snowmobiling me i'm a collector been a collector since i got out of the army and i got of out snow of the machines army you've been a collector what's that of snow machines you've been oh yes yeah, snowmobile okay. collector that's yeah, the only yeah. thing i've been collecting <laughs> is, is there anything else to talk about yeah no, yeah no, we're here so. postcards or basketball <laughs> or baseball card no snowmobile when you're a collector you're a snowmobile collector anyway um that's i've collected since 
when I got out of the Army in 71, I talked my dad into being a Viking dealer. A Viking's a snowmobile made in Twin Valley, started in Ashland, Wisconsin, ended up in Twin Valley. So I would been into snowmobiles. I would quit hunting. I, I would deer hunt. I loved deer hunting. When I went to work for the DNR, I had to quit hunting because they didn't like the way I hunted. Um, <laughs> no questions. No question, no. Uh, I just set out in the deer blind, and we'd have three inches of snow in the morning, and I'm sitting there waiting for this big buck to walk by me, and I'm, man, I could be home playing with this old sled, or I could be home getting this sled running, or why right. am I sitting here watching the, and I love the woods. I love taking apples out to the deer. But the other part about it is, when I was deer hunting, I had to buy a license. When I hunt old snow sleds, I don't have to buy a license. I just hunt old snow sleds, and I can do it year-round. Yeah. So that, and I was into the oddball sleds, the, the weird stuff. That's what I was into, and that's where the museum really comes to life is we have the oddball sleds in here, the one-of-a-kind homemade stuff, one of two, one of, one of three Alice Chalmers here at the museum, Away we go, made in Trinary. There's only five of those built. We have one of those here. We have an Anderson that was made up by Manistique, one of five. That's here at the museum. So we got that oddball stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else. We right. have a, a Honda, got into snowmobiles in 1973. They made 200 prototypes. They were recalled. They didn't like them. This guy was hurt on one. They recalled them and crushed them. But there was four left, four we know and left, and we have one here. Nice. So we're kind of proud of that. So that's, we have some different sleds here. Yeah, we've got the Polaris and Cats and all the main brand stuff too, but we got some weird looking stuff. A Timberwolf made in Sioux, Michigan. They only made eight sleds. We have a Timberwolf here. There's a lot of stuff like that that, that we have that's unique. Now, what really surprised me when you were taking me on a tour around the floor and showing me the different machines was the snow machines that J.C. Penney sold mm -hmm. in their catalog, Montgomery Ward, right? Everybody knows them Sears. as Sears. I was completely shocked because I remember as a kid, you know, getting those J.C. Penney catalogs around Christmas time, and I was in those things like crazy. Never saw a photo of a snow machine, so it's kind of trippy that they got into the snowmobile business too. And we have a Sears catalog back there. I didn't show you it, but we have the Sears catalog with the snow slit in it. Herders was another one. Okay. Catalog store, Herders. Yeah, everybody. And we have, we have all that stuff here. Sears was the more popular one. They started off with Sears was made by Scorpion, painted a different color. And then OMC also made them for Sears. Uh, Johnson Evinrude, OMC. They also made them for Sears. So Sears was the more popular one. Certainly. And it seems like if we if we take a trip back through time through your museum, the a lot of the older machines that are in there to me kind of look almost borderline experimental, like something you would make in your backyard. But then all of a sudden it became very commercialized. Like all of a sudden, like you said before, like everybody just jumped on the bandwagon. Why do you think that snowmobiling just became so popular so quick that everybody had to have a snow machine? That was in the um, late 50s, early 60s when everybody got into it. And, you know, I'm not sure why. It was something new. I get, you know, the car people come in here and say the same thing that, well, when the cars were first started, there was all different kinds of cars being manufactured also. Right. And now we're down to a few. Same thing with snowmobile. Everybody jumped on the bandwagon and was going to get rich or yeah. make their version. And now we're down to four. 
I, I'm not sure. It was something new, so people wanted to try something new. Um, it's a sport. It's the outdoor recreation in the wintertime. Something to do in the wintertime. Right. But back in the late 60s, early 70s, it was a family outing. Everybody on a Saturday or – well, Saturday you worked, Sunday you played, so you would – take your hot dogs out in the woods and ride your snow sled and start a fire and it was more family orientated they didn't have the trail system like we have today now it's we have an awesome trail system here in the up yes um, uh, so the the new modern sleds of course are way better better ride better everything yes yeah like the cadillac version almost yes now, with regards to a lot of the snowmobiles that you've got out there, you were telling me that there's actually a lot of them that are in working condition. Yes. Oh, um, we do a ride. Well, this year will be our 31st year for our show. We do a ride, every, a vintage ride every year. It's always the third weekend in February. Last year, we had 250 do our vintage ride, and the guys are really into the that part of it now. It used to be shows, and now show and a ride. If you have a ride, that's... That's the thing to be doing now is right. Every weekend you can go somewhere to a ride. The weekend we do our show is President's Weekend, so there's four or five other shows just in Michigan going on at the same time. Where 31 years ago, we were the only ones doing it. Or Now in the last 15 years, there's lots of different communities have jumped on that bandwagon and want to do something in their community. So they have rides. Nice. Yes, and some of them break down on the rides. <laughs> Yeah, I think any machine is uh, is being prone to being to breakdowns. For a lot of the snowmobiles that are out there, I could imagine that probably you are getting a lot of people year round here at the museum. January, February are our better months because of the snowmobile. the The trail literally is ten feet from that window. Ten feet from the front of our building is the trail. So we get definitely when we have a trail, good trail system, we get lots of people. Last year, we on a Saturday, we'd run 100 or 105 through on a Wonderful. trail was good in a day. Um, so January, February are our best months. Summer months are good, 40, 45, 50 a day in the summer months. It's a little slower right now. April is a slow month too, but there are still people stopping every day. We get somebody or a few people. Um, right. Now, for... So when you took when you left the first building that you were in, right, the laundromat that you mm -hmm. that you renovated, you got this building here. Talk to us a little bit about did you ever think for yourself for a second like how are we going to fill up the space? How are we going to really use this space? Did you have everything all planned out in the first place? How did that work? Yeah, we had it. Sleds weren't a problem. We had getting a lot of calls about. I've got this sled, or Grandpa, you should have this sled that belonged to Grandpa. It should be in here. And so sleds, the popularity of the vintage sport hobby is really growing. So sleds aren't the problem. I'm a collector myself, and there's another guy in Ohio. He's a big-time collector. Back then we were. We still are. So the, he and I have got a bunch of our collections in here. Right. But then there's a lot of other individuals that put their sleds in here right now we have a waiting list people want to bring sleds in we have a garage out back that we swap sleds in and out of they'll be in here for a couple of years then it goes out to the garage and sets in the garage covered up right um and then we'll bring them back and forth so we switch sleds around some will never leave They they belong in here they'll never leave but 
So yeah, sleds aren't the problem. Space is the problem. But 185 is enough to keep track of who owns it, uh, keeping them clean. It's a chore in itself keeping track of 185. So no, we're not going to add on anymore. We're done adding on. You've had it because you you were mentioning before that you were at 7,500 square foot. Now you're at 10,000. Right. That's when we, um, Bombardier in Belcourt, Quebec, donated 33 sleds to us. So when they donated those 33 sleds, we had to have a place to put them. So our, we have a 10-person board, and the 10-person board agreed to add on. We had some snowmobile buddies that did a, friends of ours that loved the museum, they did this $1,000 challenge. And so with that $1,000 challenge, it got us a, quite a few bucks that we were able to um, add on. We got a grant to, to help add on. But Bombardier chose this museum to give 33 unique sleds to. We're uh, patting ourselves on the back on that one, that they chose this. They chose the Top of the Lake Snowmobile Museum to give 33 sleds to. Very cool. It is. And now with regards to, this was something that when you and I were talking on the phone, something that you mentioned, and that is that this is the largest snowmobile. Yes. And we, we hate to brag. We're not bragging by that in any means, but as far as number of sleds, we have the most. There's the two museums in Wisconsin, St. Germain and Eagle River. They're more Hall of Fame museums. They're about the race stuff, more about the race stuff than we are. We're not in competition with one another. We get along great with those guys. We go, they put outings on, we go there. There's another one, Hopedale, Illinois. He's got like 150 sleds, beautiful building. He remodeled an old, and we're friends with those people. They, the Willises, they've been coming to our show for years. Um, there's another one in uh, New Hampshire, Lancaster, New Hampshire. There's another museum there. Uh, there's one in Morocco, Indiana. And there's other collectors like myself, and there's a bunch of collectors like myself that have their own private collections at home. Matter of fact, there's one here 20 miles up the road from here. Private collector, he's got an awesome collection. That, yeah, he's got 25, 30 sleds or 35, 40, whatever he's got. Beautiful collection, his own little display i've got another 150 sleds at home myself the other guy from ohio has got a bunch of his sleds in here he's got a bunch more at home there's a lot of collectors like like us that have got 30 sleds or whatever so it's a fast growing hobby apparently so yes now for these for the for the people that have the private collections at their home is it literally just for you do you let the the public in there how does that uh, work well um, the collectors, like the guy through here, 20 miles, he's well known in the vintage antique snowmobile world. If you're going by his place, he'll definitely show it to you. But Joe Blow off the street has no idea where he's at. But right. the collectors know. Of course, yes, they will show. There's another guy down in Turner. He's a big-time collector. He's into race stuff. He was a racer himself, and he'll more than welcome show other snowmobilers what he has. And every now and then, the person will do an open house like Steve does. He'll have an open house to people to come look at it. There's a couple guys in Wisconsin, same way. They have their other collections. There's guys that collect oddball sleds like me, and then there's guys that collect strictly race sleds. Then there's guys that collect drag sleds, the high dollar end stuff. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys out there like me. I'm not the only one. (laughs) That's great. So you say you have 185 sleds Mm -hmm. underneath your roof. 
if a couple people were going to come here and look, because and I'm asking this question because a lot of times, especially if I go to museums or I'm looking at collections, I could almost go into overload. There's almost too much for me to see. And while I appreciate the entire collection, after a while, things start to look the same. So if, if somebody were to come here to your museum, what would be a couple of the key snow machines that you would say, these are the ones that I think you should take a look at? It all depends what the person, if he wants to see race stuff, we have some race stuff, some that won the Sioux Y500. We have, there's a group of guys, the older guys, they want to see the old iron, the rear engine stuff, the real old stuff. But then there's those 40-year-old guys, 50-year-old guys that want to see that 1990 TXL or a race sled or a sporty sled. Like in cars, it'd be like a Camaro or Firebird. There's that group of guys who want to see that Camaro or Firebird. Same thing in snowmobiles. Then there's the other guy that wants to see the one-of-a-kind stuff or, or the rear engine stuff, the work stuff. Um, so it's a, it's a mixture. Then there's the engineer, the guy that's never been on a snowmobile, but he's, he's an engineer-type guy. He wants to see how it works and what makes it go. And So it's a variety of people. And we get people that come in, and they'll spend 20 minutes. And on their way out, they'll say something to them and say, well, I didn't see the Harley-Davidson. Uh, well, let's go show you Harley-Davidson. Right around the corner is Harley-Davidson. He went through 20 minutes in and out. He went through so bad, fast, he didn't see half the sleds half the sleds that we have. Right. So we get that comment all the time. I didn't see this sled or that sled. Well, matter of fact, it happened again this morning. A guy didn't see a sled that... I, he said, well, you didn't see this one. Well, I'll go back and show it to you. Okay, it's right there. And then we get the guy that spends two hours or three hours here, he says, man, my head is spinning. I, I've taken in way too much with all the, the clothing, the signs, the oil cans. There's all the other stuff, literature that's on the walls and things, not just the snowmobiles. And it's the library. You know, we have a, a library with any kind of snowmobile material in it you want. So, yeah, we get that guy that I'm on overload. I got to come back. My head's spinning. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely me going through there. And, and that happens quite often as I start to get lost in the different sleds because you do really a good job of having a little bit of the story for each sled. Oh, let me tell you that part. Uh, I please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, remember, I graduated from Engadine. I'm not a, I wasn't the age student either. We worked with uh, Tom Farnquist from the Shipwreck Museum. When we started the museum, we were in the talking stages one of our board members knew Tom Farquist and knew that he had started the Shipwreck Museum back in 84, 85. So this person contacted him and he came down and met with our people. I worked for the DNR and we would use the DNR conference room at, in the evening. Yeah. I'd probably lose my job today, but <laughs> uh, I worked for the DNR and we had the conference room. It was a place to meet. So Tom Farquist come down and given us pointers and stuff and it's one thing he said that you have to have people won't read a book, but they'll they are he called the artifacts that put no more than 70 words on a description about the snow sled. He always kept calling it artifacts. So 70 words or less about the 1969 Scorpion or whatever, right. where it was made, when it was when it was made. And so we got that from Tom. He was uh, we picked his brain quite a bit. Very. He was helpful for us. To get started, I wasn't, like I said, I graduated from Ingenheim, but I wasn't really into to museums, but Tom helped us a bunch. 
No, and it's what it is is because this is a, a recurring theme that I've heard today. You talk about so, for instance, I, and I don't know if it was Tom, but somebody was like, "You need to add a gift shop," mm-hmm. you know, because that helps pay the bills. We're sitting in a conference room right now that you rent out to local groups that are in the area because it helps to pay the bills. It helps keep the door open so yes. more people can enjoy the museum. Right, and then Tom also, of course, he did the shipwreck museum in Paradise. So we wanted to do a few displays, um, like here locally, Nobinway is known for the commercial fishing village. It still is today, but back in the 50s and 60s, they get 200 pounds of fish, two miles on Lake Michigan, you had to have a way to get them off the ice. So when the snowmobile came, the workhorse of the snowmobile came along, they would use that, and they still use snowmobiles today, but to use a new modern sled. So we wanted to do some kind of a diorama of some fake ice, um, so a f- box of fishnets with one of these old rear engine sleds setting on the ice to make it look real. And Tom says, oh, yep, that would be good, but you got to put a little drama into it. I said, what do you mean? People like, this is coming from Tom, people like drama. You've got to have that fake ice. you got to have the sled setting on the ice, but you got to have the sleigh it's pulling, breaking through the ice. He uh we never, you know, that's still in the work. We haven't made it yet, but that was another thing we, I still remember from Tom that you got to have some drama into it. The, the sled breaking through the ice and the fishermen just getting off of the ice in time. <laughs> Someday we'll get that done. Just money. No, it, it's, they do that for every television show that's out there. You know, you got to interject that drama because that's yes. what makes us watch <laughs> us and want to tune in for next week. So I totally get that. There's one machine that I picked out here. I was actually kind of spying going through here because I wanted to talk about it. For me, it's absolutely fascinating. When you talk about how there's something here for everybody, uh, you know, when I came in here, I was thinking back to my own childhood. My dad had two Yamaha sleds. And going through there, I saw some machines that had like the similar body style. But I'm an aviation guy through and through. And when I saw that you had a sled with a uh, with a World War II yes. uh, airplane, you know, piston engine, yes. uh, looked like it was a um, circular uh, piston engine with a prop rotary rotary engine. Thank you. With a uh, and it was done in a pusher prop style. Yes, yeah. I, air that, sleds. Air sleds. That completely caught my eye. Talk just a little bit about air sleds. Well, it's an airplane motor. Yes, and it it's is. a sled, so it's an air sled. Matter of fact, they were. I didn't show you the picture on the wall. Maybe you saw it. In the early 1900s, like 1905 in St. Ignace, was the Wing Arrow Company. It was a Wing Arrow sled. And they, the guys that remember St. Ignace back in the early 19, it was the old Ford garage. Of course, I don't remember the old Ford garage in, in 1905, but he manufactured what was called a Wing Arrow sled. And we did a bunch of research on this. We actually went to the cemetery and found that the Wing family was there. But there's a few pictures on the wall, paintings on the wall that Chester Wing, a great-grandson or whatever, did. And so we contacted the great-grandson, and he's in his 80s now, but he was really cool about the history behind the Wing aerosled and Sedignus. During the Depression, they would use these, wing, any air sled, but Wing made them, to go out on the ice I don't know why, but coyotes mate on the ice and all the islands around Sedegna, Cedarville, all over. They would chase the coyotes with these wing arrow sleds. Right. And there was a bounty on them. State of Michigan would pay you $35 or whatever it was 
for a coyote. And during the Depression, that was a lot of money. And some of the, and I will show you those two big paintings we have, shows the wing arrow sled with a coyote in it. So yeah, the wing, and wing wasn't the only one. There was a lot of homemade stuff being made. My uncle made one from Detour. He made a, a homemade air sled. There was a lot of homemade air sleds being made. Scorpion, which was called trailer sled, actually manufactured 10 or 15. Right. They were called Scorpion trailer sled. Air sleds is more commercial looking. The one we have here is a little crude, but that's another group of people that still do it today. They get together and have these air sleds. This is why I love history because there's so much to it just beyond, you know, this company manufactured this or this manufactured that. I mean, there's a reason behind these sleds, the state of Michigan putting a bounty on the, on the the coyotes out there. And yeah, that's just incredible. I love that. Yes. Uh, And wing would actually, um, you could buy a kit from, from the wing garage, or you could buy the complete air sled already made. Right. But yeah, that would, so some history we had no idea was out there. Clueless. That's awesome. So, Charlie, if anybody's listening to this podcast and they want to learn more about the museum, maybe even stop by, what are some ways that they could connect with you either, you know, online or stop by? Okay, our, our website is pretty easy, snowmobilemuseum.com. Boom. Yes, that's cool, snowmobilemuseum.com. You can tell we were out in front on that one. Yeah. So snowmobilemuseum.com, we do a Facebook page. We use Facebook to our advantage. We don't get into all the other BS on Facebook, but it's uh, we have quite a following yes. on our Facebook page. When we started doing the building, the new building in 2013, Marilyn would, oh, we just started Facebook then, she would put something on Facebook every day, picture of this or picture of that, and our following really Took really off. Really took off. And then, of course, we kept it up. Um, we got like 10,000, whatever they're called on Facebook. Followers. Followers, I guess. Uh, I'm one of them, by the way. Oh, cool. <laughs> so anyway, our Facebook page or snowmobilemuseum.com or just stop by. We're 42 miles west of the Mackinac Bridge, right on US-2 on the north side of the road. We have a sign that says Snowmobile Museum. It lights up in the night. Can't miss us on the north side of the road. Nobby's a small little place. Oh, and it's the northernmost point of Lake Michigan. That's why we're called the Top of the Lake Snowmobile Museum, because we're literally at the top of Lake Michigan. And the community association here, who uses this room, no charge, of course, the community association is like a chamber of commerce, but we call it now the Communities Association. They just did last year a monument photo op of the northernmost point. So out at our marina here in town, we put this map up. It's the outline of Michigan. It's like 10 or 12 feet tall, made out of stainless steel. And it says on it, northernmost point of Lake Michigan with a little star right at Nobbin Way. It's another, we just, I worked on that committee also, but uh, that was a five year long project and we finally got it done. It's a photo op. And I imagine it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, of course. It's made out of stainless steel. It's cool. <laughs> awesome. For our audience, we'll have all those links in the show notes down below. Yeah. Charlie, it's been awesome hanging out with you today and checking out your museum and chatting with you today. It's been great. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Before you go, I want to invite you to the Call of Leadership community. Here you can get access to some really great behind-the-scenes goodness like upcoming guests, interviews, 
but you can also get thoughts from these interviews as well as actionable tips that you just will not find anywhere else. Plus, you can stay current with what's going on, not only with this community, but with this awesome show, because there's some good stuff that's coming. Join us by going to calloflearship.com slash email. Once again, that's calloflearship.com slash email. And I'll catch you in the next episode.